That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Dr. Gina Primetime. Glad to have you with us tonight. Leftists on Twitter today were all excited when President Trump tweeted what they say is a concession. But the president did not concede. Donald Trump concede? Those words are funny. Here's the tweet. Now that Biden and now that the Biden administration will be a scandal plagued mess for years to come, it is much easier for the Supreme Court of the United States to follow the Constitution and do what everybody knows has to be done. They must show great courage and wisdom. Save the USA. They said, see, see, he said the Biden administration. He admitted that there is a Biden administration. Come on, guys. In that tweet, the president was merely giving the Supreme Court another really good reason to go ahead and overturn the obviously fraudulent election results. Legal experts like Chris Ann Hall, who we had on the show last night, tell us that the Supreme Court justices are definitely fearful that a decision, even a correct and constitutional decision, will cause cities to burn at the hands of leftist rioters. So even if it's the right thing to do, the justices are still human beings who have to live with the consequences of their decision. The consequences are great no matter what they decide. And I argue that the consequences of allowing a fraudulent election to stand will be much more damaging to the Republic than making a bunch of leftist rioters angry. If the establishment elite is able to steal this election, I don't know how we will ever believe in the integrity of our elections again. Democrats, intellectually, intellectually honest Democrats, know that Biden didn't get the 81 million votes that they say he did. They can hide their eyes, but they can still hear the roar of tens of millions of Trump supporters who love their president. There's never been a loyalty to a president like those who voted for this president. If this election is stolen by the Democrats, the consequences will be further reaching than we can imagine at this moment in time right now. So the Supreme Court must do the right thing. The states of Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania have responded to the Supreme Court regarding the Texas case, and they call it a bogus case. The response from the state of Pennsylvania called it a seditious abuse of the judicial process. Michigan called it an intrusion and said the election is over. And we will have more on that story a little later with Trump attorney Jenna Ellis. But now it's time to go around the world. And tonight we will start in Denver at the Real America's Voice headquarters there. Jessica, what do you have for us tonight? Well, Dr. Gina, on Monday, Colorado GOP lawmakers asked the Democrat Speaker of the House to form a special committee which would conduct an independent forensic audit of the Dominion voting machines used in this year's election. The lawmakers say, given the fact that Dominion voting system is headquartered in Colorado and that legitimate concerns regarding election fraud have been raised by President Donald J. Trump, it should be a priority of the General Assembly 
to put to rest all doubt in the integrity of our elections and push to decertify any results if overwhelming fraud is found. The major issue with Dominion voting machines has to do with two companies, the Indra Sistemis Company and Sequoia Voting Systems. Indra Sistemis is a Spanish technology and events systems company that involves the Dominion voting system and Smartmatic. Smartmatic is another voting software also used in U.S. elections. Smartmatic is also a software company that was started in Caracas, Venezuela. It is the voting software put in place by Venezuelan dictator Hugo Chavez in 2004 and the software that helped keep him in power until his death in 2013 with known corrupt elections. The link between the two voting systems is also something that has been brought up by federal attorney Sidney Powell and one that she's been heavily criticized about, even laughed at for. But Dr. Gina, I just found this 2013 Dominion proposal to the state of Colorado. And in it, you can see that one Dominion Systems Engineers, Ronald Morales of Venezuela, started with Smartmatic. Sequoia Voting Systems ended up buying Smartmatic, then Dominion bought Sequoia. And that's how Morales came to be a systems engineer with Dominion. But I want to make it clear, I am in no way saying there is a definite nefarious link that has been proven between Dominion and Smartmatic, but there are links, and those links are the Indra Sistema Company and Sequoia Voting Systems. And as for Colorado's request, Republicans got a firm no, but they're not quitting. They will be holding a special committee meeting next Tuesday morning to look into the Dominion machine's use in this year's election. Dr. Gina, back to you. I find it so interesting, Jessica. You know, the minute I started to look into this and, and we all started to look into this here at Real America's Voice, my phone lit up with people that I know saying, you know, you know, you shouldn't look into this. You know, there are a lot of your friends who have investments in these things, you know, around Palm Beach, Washington, D.C. You probably shouldn't look into this. I said, yeah, no. I am going to look into this, and I will continue to look into this, and I'm glad that you are too, and we all will hear at Real America's Voice. You can count on it. We're going to go over to D.C. now to Carrie Sheffield. Go ahead, Carrie. What have you got for us tonight? Hey there, Dr. Gina. Happy Friday. Yes, I had the Attorney General of Texas here on my show, Ken Paxton. We talked through some hope that he sees uh, based on the Supreme Court's prior rulings on the coronavirus. So I wrote about this at justthenews.com. So in some earlier Supreme Court rulings, and we're going to walk through them, justices have said that COVID can't be used as an excuse to trample the Constitution. And Trump attorney John Eastman says he hopes this is going to apply to the election results as well. And so does the Attorney General of Texas. So there was also an earlier decision. Uh, we probably, you know, heard about this from our religious institutions. They rejoiced because the Supreme Court in a five to four decision said that Governor Cuomo's in New York, his restrictions violated the First Amendment. And the justices in their opinion said that, quote, even in a pandemic, the Constitution cannot be put away and forgotten. Uh, there was an additional ruling as well on a COVID challenge um, that gives them hope because in October in Alabama, there was a ruling also um, where they had tried to ban curbside voting and the Supreme Court said, yes, they support this, that you can't make COVID changes uh, unconstitutionally. There was another case as well in Wisconsin. Um, the Supreme Court by a five to three ruling in October also said that you can't extend the deadline by six days after the election in Wisconsin. So again, this gives them hope. Um, we'll see if it actually plays out at the Supreme Court level. Of course, we'll be following it here at Just the News. Back to you, Gina. 
Thanks so much, Carrie. Always interesting. Now, staying in Washington, D.C., but heading across town to Ben Burkwam, who is there on the ground, getting ready for some big events happening there this weekend. Ben, tell us about what's happening in D.C. Well, I'm standing out in front of Ground Zero. We've got the Supreme Court behind me. Obviously, everyone's waiting for the decision by the justices, uh, what they will determine. Uh, it sounds like we'll be hearing more Monday, if not before. But tomorrow is going to be huge. There are two large events coming in and, and, and some smaller ones as well. Uh, huge event down on the mall, the Jericho March, brought together by Judeo-Christians from across the country, uh, Jews, Christians, Catholics, all with the same idea that God has prompted them to march like, like they did around the walls of Jericho and see those walls come tumbling down. That event will be from 12 to 4 tomorrow. Uh, the, the March for Trump will also be going on at the exact same time, 12 o'clock down in Freedom Plaza. And we'll be covering both of those. Uh, we'll be bringing you the best content. Uh, General Flynn will be speaking tomorrow. I know at the, uh, the Jericho March, uh, possibly I've heard the uh, March for Trump as well. We shall see on that. It's, it's, it's going to be a beautiful, huge day. And the Trump supporters that are coming out and the people that are coming out in prayer, uh, it's all about restoring God, family, country, restoring justice, equal justice under the law. And they believe God is going to work in a powerful way this weekend. It's really, Ben, it's not really about uh, what the Supreme Court should do. It's about what the Supreme Court will do. I tweeted that today. I'm going to be all over that theme. And I think that that really is the question. I mean, you know, everybody's asking, will the Supreme Court hear this case? And I think it really comes down to, again, not what they should or should not do, because we all know what they should do. It's a given. It's a question of what they will do. Is that what you're hearing from folks there on the ground? Well, uh, folks on the ground are, you know, again, you've kind of got two factions. You've got folks coming out to pray and then others that are just uh, piping mad. Uh, Trump supporters that have seen injustice for the last four years, a coup attempt against our president, you know, talking about Russia collusion for four years and election fraud for four years that was made up by the left. Now they're the left saying, well, there is no election fraud. Move on. Let's move on. And so really the answer is look into it. And you, you heard that all of these you know, all of these issues with Dominion, all of these issues with changes to the election using COVID as the justification for it, uh, it, it begs the question, how could they possibly not hear the case if you really care about the Constitution? And so that's that's the message I hear is, you know, people expect, they demand that uh, that the Supreme Court at least hear the case and give an opportunity for discovery to find out if these claims are accurate. You know, we have thousands of affidavits from across the country with people, which is evidence for, for those of you out there in the, you know, that are saying there is no evidence. Well, there's thousands of pieces of evidence on top of the algorithms and all the other statistical data that's been coming out. So that's really it, is they want their day in court and they believe if that happens, when that happens, uh, President Trump will be victorious. You have the other side saying there's nothing to see here, move on, it's time to inaugurate. And, you know, and so that it's a wild time to be in America, that's for sure. Are you hearing anything about any kind of counter activity tomorrow in terms of uh, uh, folks from the left counter protesting? I haven't I haven't heard anything yet. We did see uh, some look like black block uh, black block people, which is an Antifa marching around today with some big Biden uh, effigy. Uh, I'm not sure who they were, but you know if 
I, I would, I'd be shocked if they didn't show up. I mean, knowing the, the Democrats' playbook, they want to intimidate and, and attack people and so uh, try to silence people. And so I would anticipate when the sun goes down tomorrow, uh, bad people will show up. But, you know, I'm praying that that's not the case. We'll, we'll have to wait and see, though. All right. Thanks so much, Ben Burkwam from Washington, D.C., now down to Georgia, where we have John Fredericks standing by. John, who all is down there campaigning for the Senate candidates? Well, Mike Pence was here yesterday. He went to Augusta and a pretty rousing speech. He had 500 people. Both these Senate candidates at risk right now. This is why Georgia is really the epicenter, the breaking point of the republic. And uh, there's a lot of Trump voters that are very despondent about the lack of leadership in Georgia from the three uh, from the three constitutional officers, the governor, secretary of state, and the lieutenant governor. All of them have sold out the president. There's voter fraud that hears that is beyond the pale. But uh, a lot of people upset because they view the election, the runoff election on January 5th as a fraudulent election. They think Purdue already won. And they're very upset because they believe that nothing has been done to stop the Democrats from stealing it again. So a lot of people say, why should I vote when you're doing nothing to stop the fraud? Case in point, uh, Raffensperger, the Republican Secretary of State, who's a complete weasel, by the way, uh, authorized another 20 drop boxes. The GeorgiaStarNews.com, my newspaper, we did a host of FOIAs over the last uh, three weeks, 78% of the votes that came in from drop boxes had zero chain of custody. They had no chain of custody, which is part of the law or part of the consent decree that Ravensburg signed, which is illegal anyway. Here's the good news. I, I'll give you some good news. Um, there are uh, Senator William Ligon from Brunswick, Georgia, which is where I was today with him, he has uh, put together a Amer um, amicus brief and gotten 30 uh, House members, state House members, and 15 state senators to sign it. So basically, they are siding with the Texas lawsuit in opposition to their own uh, Attorney General Chris Carr, who was arguing on the behalf of the state of Georgia against the people, against Republicans. So that was good news today. Also, under intense pressure, uh, Senator Perdue and Senator Loeffler, who have uh, totally ignored the voter fraud, the Texas um, lawsuit, the Linwood lawsuit, the Rudy Giuliani lawsuit. They've never mentioned it on a stump speech. They somehow think they're going to get suburban women uh, in Gwinnett County to vote for them based on their nitwit consultants in Washington, finally, under intense pressure, they came out last night backing the Texas um, lawsuit. Uh, they had to sign on to it because of the outrage they got from their voting base. If they don't get Trump voters out, Gina, both of these senators are going to lose. Stacey Abrams, she's got drop boxes. They've already mailed out 950,000 absentee ballots again. and. They've got the funding. Now they're going around with, um, uh, with luxury buses through neighborhoods with uh, Democratic voters up. in my, minority areas, wow. picking them up to take them to early voting. And the Republicans' response to this is basically allow them to continue to do 
drop boxes and mail-in ba ballots without signatures. These two senators are at grave risk. Wow. Well, I'm glad to hear at least that uh, it sounds like they came out in support of the Texas lawsuit. John, we always appreciate your report. Thank you so much. Coming up is the Texas case that is before the Supreme Court, the one John Frederick and I were just talking about, the last best hope to stop the steal. We're going to ask a member of Trump's legal team. We'll talk to Jenna Ellis coming up next. More Dr. Gina Primetime coming at you. Stick around. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. News on the Supreme Court case brought by Texas. The states of Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania have responded to the Supreme Court regarding the Texas case, and they call it a bogus case. The response from the state of Pennsylvania called it a seditious abuse of the judicial process. Michigan called it an intrusion and said the election is over. But what does the Trump legal team say? Joining us now is attorney for President Trump, Jenna Ellis. Jenna, the states of Georgia, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania say this lawsuit is bogus. I'm sure you have a response to that. I'm going to give you time to tell us what that is. <laughs> well, great to see you, Gina, and congratulations great on your show. You it's too. really exciting and Thank great you. to be with you. And, uh, you know, I great think the state you. of Texas in uh, their reply said it perfectly, where they said that uh, none of these states actually responded to the merits of the claims. They're just trying to distract. And so uh, what's going on here, of course, is that the state of Texas, uh, when they filed and are now joined by uh, 17 attorneys general from other states, is that they are saying that these defendant states uh, administered their elections in a way that violated state law, which then ultimately, of course, violated the U.S. Constitution in the election. Clause because the Constitution gives sole power and authority to state legislatures to set the manner of which the electors are appointed. And so when that manner is completely ignored and violated in the ways that these defendant states have done, then that runs afoul of the Constitution. So uh, the replies from these states are just trying to make this a non-issue, but I think everyone in America is very well aware that it is a big issue and that the state of Texas is correct, that the Constitution matters, the laws matter, and the Supreme Court hopefully will agree with that and say, yes, of course, we are a nation of rules and laws that must be obeyed. And when there is such a breach of the law and when there's complete ignoring of the rules, then you can't just certify results uh, based on this complete uh, lack of proper administration of the election. And so, you know, as we're watching this, a lot of the question that I think people are asking is, if you could, Jenna, delineate for us 
the part of it that the Trump legal team, you and and the mayor and others are working on, um, versus the part of the the lawsuits, which of the lawsuits um, that Sidney Powell, for example, is working on, and who exactly is working on this Texas case. And if you could just help the lay people of us out here <laughs> who are confused by who's doing what, can you lay that out just a little bit for us so we can understand? Yeah, and that's a great question because obviously there are many different lawsuits and uh, many different activities that are going on. And I think, uh, simply put, everyone altogether has the same common interest, which is to protect election integrity. We've all seen uh, what's going on and what happened in these states, how they have ignored the rules, how they've violated the laws in their states. And uh, so there are a lot of different entities, um, organizations, congressmen, uh, including Mike Kelly and Sean Carnell, that now have uh, petitioned the Supreme Court in their case uh, to hear their case on the merits uh, because we all see the same problems. But it is important to recognize that not all of the cases are being brought by the Trump campaign and our legal team. Uh, we only have a couple actually that are out there, not these you know 47 like Twitter claims. Uh, we only have a couple of cases that are working their way up through the system in Wisconsin, Georgia, uh, Pennsylvania, and Nevada. And uh, we have one case that is pending before the Supreme Court out of Pennsylvania, which is dealing with uh, counting the ballots in that three-day period after November 3rd and how that is completely against uh, the Constitution, against uh, the laws of that state, and the, that the governor uh, is just trying to do that unilaterally. So that's actually our only case in front of the Supreme Court right now. And then we do have a few others that are making their way. Um, importantly, in the Texas case, the president uh, did intervene in his personal capacity, so that's not the campaign either. Uh, he intervened in his personal capacity as uh, the president and as a candidate for re-election, and he's represented by counsel in that case, uh, saying that obviously as the candidate, he also was harmed by this, uh, this uh, unconstitutional administration of the elections in these states. And at, to this point, um, are there any cases, just to clarify for the audience, um, that, ha that the Supreme Court has agreed to hear? And out of the cases that remain, um, what do you think, which of these cases do you think the Supreme Court is most likely to agree to hear next? Yeah, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, the, the Supreme Court right now, it looks like the Texas case, the uh, Pennsylvania case from Mike Kelly and Sean Parnell is pending as well as the Trump campaign case. Uh, one option that the Supreme Court does have is to consolidate all of these cases and essentially hear them all together. That's actually what happened in Bush versus Gore in 2000, was that there were a number of cases uh, that came up on the same election integrity question that then the Supreme Court decided to take as a whole. And so, uh, that's entirely possible, um, but I think that uh, overall everyone's eyes are on the Texas case just because uh, this deals now with uh, not only you know, 18 states that are uh, looking at uh, intervening, are looking at, you know, filing all of these amicus briefs, um, and so many people that are very concerned about election integrity. And I think that uh, the Supreme Court will definitely look at that case uh, and, and give that due consideration. So, um, so you know, it remains to be seen, but I think that uh, one of the great 
benefits of this that's coming out of all of this litigation, as well as uh, Mayor Giuliani and I, who, uh, of course, took our case um, in front of four different state legislatures, is that the American public is seeing uh, how many of these cases um, are incredibly uh, trustworthy and the fact that we do have evidence and the fact that we are taking this um, in, in the proper steps and there is sufficient evidence for this. And so I think that uh, regardless of the outcome here, I do think that the American public has seen firsthand all of the witnesses and evidence, and that's incredibly valuable moving forward. And these state legislatures um, are really going to take consideration uh, moving forward to make sure that the elections are administered properly. So we have we have some hopefulness in the state legislatures. We have some hopefulness in the Supreme Court. Um, the Supreme Court in particular, it seems to me, um, and I don't mean to be skeptical about this, but I am hearing a lot of um, a lot of skepticism regarding whether or not they will take this Texas case, for example, because maybe they're concerned about the left acting out. They're concerned about rioting in the streets. Now, apparently they're not concerned about the right rioting in the streets. And I don't know at what point when the right feels like perhaps their republic is actually at risk, at risk uh, that becomes a real threat. But so far, it seems like the, the concern is that the Supreme Court may not want to involve themselves in something so politically volatile um, and that that might be a reason why they would not hear this case. Um, so I think Americans and, and at least Trump supporters are asking themselves, how can they be helpful in convincing and in, in sort of making the public case to the Supreme Court? No, this is really important and you need to hear this case. Um, do you have advice for Trump supporters on that? Well, I think I have some encouragement. I mean, there have been a wide variety of cases throughout the Supreme Court's history that have had uh, political implications that have been, of course, you know, all eyes on the outcome of that case. And um, thankfully, the Supreme Court and the judicial branch as a whole is the non-political, unbiased branch. And so they are specifically vested under the Constitution with the uh, requirement to have that uh, integrity to not be biased and to not take uh, politics into account. And so, you know, with the conservative majority that we do have of the 6-3 on the court, um, I hope and I think that America can be hopeful that uh, we won't see a political decision out of the Supreme Court. We will see a judicial one and we will see a fair uh, hearing on the merits of this case. And I think that uh, we can rest assured that the Supreme Court isn't going to look at the court of public opinion for what to do. They're going to take their mandate from the U.S. Constitution because that's where they get their authority. And so when they are acting in their capacity as the judicial branch, uh, they don't take politics into account, nor should they. Well, I'm sure that uh, your assurance is, is means a lot. Jenna, you and Mayor Giuliani have been national heroes to those who feel like their voice was not heard and want to be assured that their republic will continue to consist of free and fair elections. And so we thank you so much for that. And we thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Thank you, Gina. That means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. And America should always continue to fight for the integrity of our elections, our U.S. Constitution, and make sure that we still preserve and protect our republic. Amen to that. Thanks, Jenna. Coming up, why would Attorney General Bill Barr conceal the Hunter Biden investigation until after the election? That's up next on Dr. Gina Primetime. Don't miss it. Right back with you in just a moment.
Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to Dr. Gina Prime Time. Again, I'm always so glad you're with us as you are tonight. So the question, what has Attorney General Bill Barr been up to lately? It's hard to tell because we can't see that there's any investigation into election irregularities. And in today's Wall Street Journal, a disturbing headline reads this way. Barr worked to keep Hunter Biden probes from public view during the election. The subheadline says the attorney general knew for months about investigations into Biden's business and financial dealings. And here with me now to discuss from the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles carrying on the mission of the great Phyllis Schlafly is Ed Martin. Ed, I keep trying to give Bill Barr the benefit of the doubt, but it is getting exhausting. <laughs> Do you think, you know, the president does, so, you know, you follow the lead, but... Uh, but, you know, do you think Barr was keeping the Hunter Biden investigation a secret because he doesn't leak information about ongoing investigations? Or do you think it was because he was covering for the Bidens? I mean, is he a deep stater, as you will read all over social media, or is it something more innocent than that? Well, I don't think it's more innocent, but I think it's a little bit more uh, nuanced in this sense, uh, Dr. Gina. You know, what we've watched over these last four years, and you saw it up close, you and I know each other for, I don't know, a couple decades in Missouri politics and, of course, through Phyllis Schlafly, but a lot of folks that function in the sort of swamp and in the in the bureaucracy, they operate by a set of norms that they all rely on, and it, and it has the effect for those of us that want to see real change. You know, we the people want to see the swamp drain. So I don't know if it was a sort of Bill Barr saying, oh, I'm going to now bury this. Rather, it was this sort of norm of protecting people in power that is really foreign to normal people. Like, right, if, if Dr. Gina and I had a business deal and we were going to do another deal and somehow we hid the fact from the people taking part in the second deal, people would say, oh, you're committing a fraud. You know, you're not being honest. In the swamp world of bureaucracy, it's kind of an acceptable way to continue to protect the people the in power. And that's what I think the American people are so disgusted by. By the way, on the same day that we're talking about this, Susan Rice is, is appointed into the White House. This is a woman who was a failure in office, but more importantly, she was at the heart of the Flynn attack, and yet she's going back into power. The American people look up and they say, the Bill Bars of the world and the Susan Rices of the world, they're not playing by the rules that we have to live by. Yeah, and it's part of the reason why people, I believe, unfortunately get cynical. And the media yeah. repeated over and over countless times that there was no evidence of any wrongdoing by Joe or Hunter Biden, and voters yeah. went into the election believing that. So wasn't it the duty of the DOJ and the AG uh, to tell us the truth, that there really is at least enough evidence for there to be an investigation into Biden? 
Yeah, you're going to love this, Dr. Gina, but, you know, Jim Comey showed us the way all those years ago where he actually came out and said, there is something going on here. Remember at the Hillary Clinton thing? I think you're exactly right. Look, think about it this way, Dr. Gina. There were, there were 50 uh, current or previous recent national security advisors who were, were talking about how the Hunter Biden thing was Russian disinformation and no one should look here. In that context, I think you're right. There was a responsibility for somebody, the U.S. attorney from Delaware, uh, Bill Barr, to say, um, yeah, that's not appropriate. You're, you're going to impact the voters in this country if you lie to them, and I see you lying. See, it's one thing if Joe Biden says, hey, that's my kid, there's nothing to see here. He's supposed to do that. He's a politician. But when these professionals went out and did that, I think you're right. The duty flipped, and Bill Barr or the U.S. attorney should have said something. And again, the American people, not just are being um, mistreated by the truth. Our election was impacted by the fact that the the opposite of the truth was forced into the American consciousness. It was, this is Hunter Biden, it's nothing to see here. It's terrible, terrible stuff, a real betrayal. And a headline about Hunter Biden at justthenews.com says, email provided to the FBI alleges that Hunter Biden uh, hadn't paid taxes. Um, and I just, um, on some of these Burisma, you know, we've read about this, the Burisma payments. Uh, the email with this information was found on a laptop Hunter Biden left behind <laughs> at a repair shop. And how yeah. the DC knew this for months and probably Probably, if we're honest, the mainstream media knew it too. They knew that this was not Russian disinformation. And so how come it takes so long to trickle into the public domain? Um, and how come there isn't more outrage about this among among my peers, frankly? Yeah, well, and, and, and among Republicans that are in office that would say, my gosh, what are you doing? Yes. You're, you're undercutting our, our party's leader, our party's candidate. No, I mean, it's even more outrageous. Think about it. The, the, the answer to the Hunter Biden laptop was actually, if you looked at it closely, you actually understood why the president was talking to the Ukraine. It was a perfect call. And and frankly, the defense of it was the Russia lie. Russia disinformation was their answer. And it was done again by 50 current or, or recent national security advisors, people like Clapper and Comey and McCabe that cycle through. Look, this is a betrayal. And the outrage should come from the American people. It should come from the journalists. And it should come from Republicans. And instead, we have the Republicans thinking about, oh, well, next, uh, you know, next uh, a term, we might have the balance of power with, you know, a Nancy Pelosi. I, I don't get it. And yeah. again, uh, uh, Regina, you're a, you're someone who knows politics. You're, you know, John, your husband and all. Here's the thing. I'm not, I never say don't vote. That's stupid. Phyllis Schlafly used to say third party's a waste of your vote. You have to vote. But I will say this. The Republican leadership is misreading the grassroots because we are so disgusted that people aren't standing to fight with the president, that it really runs the risk of, of causing us to feel left behind. Now, I'm, I'm, I vote in Georgia, vote in Georgia, vote in Georgia, but it doesn't change how we feel about it, and it's a betrayal, yeah. and it, there should be uh, not just hearings, there should, be, there should be outrage every day, and then we see very little. We have to leave it there. Ed, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate you and your work at uh, Phyllis Schlafly's Eagles. Now, just Thank when you, you thought that President Trump was taking a break from his long list of accomplishments, he just added another, and it was a big one. Morocco is the latest Arab country to make a peace deal with Israel, and it was, of course, brokered by the Trump administration. Here with me now to discuss international broadcast journalist Michelle McCrory. 
Michelle, good to see you. Good to have you on the show. And uh, Michelle, I want to ask you, absolutely. I want to ask you, how significant is this peace deal with Morocco? I know you've spent a lot of time uh, really all over the world, but you've spent a lot of time in the Middle East and, of course, in Israel. How big a deal is this? Gina, this is a tremendous feat of diplomacy by the Trump administration. Four peace deals in just about four months. That is historic. Think about it. About a quarter of a century ago, only two Arab states, Egypt and Jordan, even recognized that Israel had a right to exist. Just two. Under the Trump administration, that number has literally tripled, as you say, Morocco, now joining the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain and Sudan in recognizing Israel's right to exist, in normalizing ties with Israel, and all thanks to the diplomacy of the Trump administration. What is so significant here is that the landscape has now been changed. There is literally a new dawn in the Middle East. And it's important to look at how the Trump approach actually defied all of the conventional wisdom, if we'll call it that, the conventional approach. When the president made the right and accurate decision to open the U.S. embassy in Jerusalem, recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital, all of the experts were saying, oh, no, this is going to unleash fury and rage and bloodshed from all the Arab states. Well, did it? No, because now we have four peace deals with Arab states. It turns out that was the right move. The conventional thinking, Gina, of course, was always you can't have peace with Israel and the Arab states until you have peace between Israel and the Palestinians. Well, turns mm -hmm. out that was also wrong. And the Trump administration, with its out-of-the-box thinking, has managed to really change the landscape. And we're already seeing countries like the United Arab Emirates and Israel benefit from this, reaping the rewards with booming economic ties. Tourism is thriving. It's the Hanukkah holiday, as you know, Gina, and over 25,000 Israelis are celebrating in Dubai and Abu Dhabi. That is amazing. And that's all thanks to this amazing diplomacy by the Trump administration and, of course, Jared Kushner's role in all of this. Yeah, and I do know that. I've seen it firsthand. I was in Israel, and I, I remember that even liberals who were anti-Netanyahu, who certainly weren't conservatives on any level, would pull me aside and say, please tell your American president how much we appreciate what he's done here. And, you know, they weren't conservatives. They certainly weren't Republicans. They weren't pro-Trump. Uh, but they wanted to make sure that I went back and somehow thanked the president for what he's done over there. They recognized that. But here's the question, Michelle. If this administration doesn't prevail in the lawsuits we've been discussing on this show tonight, and it is, again, um, a Biden-slash-Obama-style, old-school administration, what happens to all of the progress that's been made by the Trump administration? Well, look, on the one hand, uh, Gina, we can hope that the momentum continues. And as I mentioned, the economic ties between the UAE and Israel, they've gained quite a bit of momentum, so it's going to be hard to reverse that. On the other hand... A lot of these deals came with certain promises, like giving the UAE the ability to buy F-35s to help defend against Iran, like taking Sudan off the list of state sponsors of terrorism, like recognizing uh, Morocco's sovereignty over the Western Sahara, which is also, by the way, an act of uh, defiance against Iran because they fund the Polisario front there. So could the Biden administration come in and decide to renege on these promises, to thwart them, to reverse them? Yes, it's, it's possible. One would hope that they wouldn't actively choose to scuttle peace. 
We don't know that they would do that. We don't know that they would go so far as to destroy the Trump legacy just for the sake of destroying it. Hopefully they will see the tremendous merit that these uh, peace agreements have yielded. We don't know that. But what we do know is that they will amplify the threat of Iran because Joe Biden has told us so. He's told us that he wants to get back into that disastrous Iran nuclear deal without any preconditions, completely squandering the leverage that the Trump administration has built with the sanctions. On the other hand, when we have the threat of Iran amplified and intensified with the Biden administration, that actually will propel other countries to move closer to Israel, particularly Saudi Arabia, under the premise of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Remember, it's the threat of Iran that is also helping create these strategic security alliances. And we know how the Biden administration feels about Iran. His pick for national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, he was one of the architects of that disastrous Iran nuclear deal, which, as we know, gave Iran billions of dollars, had such loose inspection criteria that they may as well not have been there at all. And, of course, with the sunset clause, only set up Iran to, at best, delay getting nuclear weapons. So, as I say, the Iranian threat will probably, in a way, create more peace agreements. Very interesting. And so, in your opinion, um, this appearance that the United States sort of can't make up its mind who its president is, does this have any impact on uh, our foreign relations in general, not in particular, uh, not necessarily affecting uh, what's happening in the Middle East, but just foreign relations. Does this weaken us? Well, obviously, when you have this uh, state of indecision and uh, a lot of Americans questioning the validity of the democratic system, questioning the validity of their own votes, uh, that does not exactly portray America in the best light to the rest of the international community. I think a lot of countries are, in the Middle East at least, are waiting to see how this election definitively resolves itself. Certainly with regards to mm -hmm. the Saudis, I anticipate that they're waiting to see right until the last minute what actually happens come January 20th, Inauguration Day. But does it create a positive image of the United States that there's so much confusion and chaos and very at least uh, 70 million Americans or 86 percent of those 70 million Americans questioning whether there was some kind of fraud. It does not create the best impression. No. All right, Michelle. Well, we want to get you back and delve into that just a little bit more. Unfortunately, we're out of time. But thank you so much for being with us. Michelle McQuarrie, we appreciate it. Coming up, Amanda Head is on the ground in Washington, D.C., where the Trump supporters are descending upon the city. Will there be rioting and looting? I think you already know the answer to that. But stick around because we're going to talk about it. More Dr. Gina Primetime coming at you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. Glad to have you with us. Trump supporters descending on Washington, D.C. today, making their presence known, getting ready for the multiple rallies happening all around 
Washington, D.C. tomorrow. Amanda Head is there on the ground, and she will be part of our live coverage. You'll want to keep it tuned right here to RAV Real America's Voice. Amanda, good to see you. Lots of fired-up Trump supporters. I think this could be the biggest Trump rally ever because the Trump people think they have a lot to fight for. What are you seeing in terms of people that are already there? It definitely could be even bigger than last time. You know, it's interesting the night before, I remember that was what, about a month ago, the night before, you couldn't really tell the swell of uh, the swell of the population that was going to be taking place the next day. You had a few indicators, same as tonight, a few indicators. Earlier today, Ben Burkwam, as you know, was reporting outside of here, and there were groups that were gathered outside the Supreme Court behind me who were praying about the results that are yet to come. I, I have to admit, I thought that the Supreme Court was going to decide today whether they would hear the case out of Texas. Uh, but as far as I know, I haven't been on my phone in the last 45 seconds seconds, but it could have come then. So we are all waiting to see what happens with that. And everybody here tomorrow, I think, is is still so inspired, you know, there have been so many little nuggets of information regarding case filings in Georgia and Arizona and, you know, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, all of these states. And I think that some people feel a little bit fatigued with the small bits of information, the small bits of news. They're just really ready to finally have some type of meaningful answer on all of this. And a lot of people are looking to this Texas case filed by filed by Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton for, you know, a way forward. But as as I have explained to people, there is a path, um, but the path, we have to speed down that road very swiftly and we have to hit all the green lights. And this decision by the Supreme Court of whether to hear the case from Texas is the first major intersection where we, we hope, hopefully will hit a green light. It's interesting because, you know, we keep hearing that, you know, if the left doesn't get their way, there will be rioting and looting. Uh, if the if the right doesn't get their way, no one expects rioting and looting. Um, are you hearing anything different from that on the ground? And are you expecting a showing from BLM or from Antifa? Yeah, I do expect a showing from those protesters tomorrow night. I will be safely in my hotel room at that point. I will get myself in my hotel safely, maybe order some dinner. Um, you know, the interesting conversation to be had about whether the Supreme Court decides to hear this case and then subsequently rule on it. You've got 70 million Trump supporters who are not satisfied with the results of the election. They do think there was fraud. They do think that there were issues of unconstitutionality as far as states changing their election laws through other means than their state legislatures. So what it ultimately comes down to is, and you know, I, I think the Supreme Court, we expect them to be above the fray and above the trends and above the politics but we have to remember that they are human too and they do care about this country and i think that they would look at a case like this and they would think you know how, how do we effectively take on this case and possibly overturn an election because you've got you know 70 something biden supporters that will be upset on the other hand if they don't if if president trump and his team and ken paxton and his lawsuit don't get their day in court you're going to have another 70 million people who are upset so in a case where you're darn if you do and you're darned if you don't, I say follow the way of the Constitution. And the Constitution, you know, I think if they follow the Constitution, they will hear the case. How do you think the mainstream media will cover this event? Um, if they cover it at all tomorrow, what do you think you'll see on the Alphabet Soup legacy media? 
know. They have a track record for these types of things, Dr. Gina. Uh, I think if they give any coverage at all, it will be to make fun of Trump supporters. I'm sure a lot of people saw that picture floating around. I can't remember which of the alphabet soup folks reported it, but there was a man who sneezed and, uh, and you know, in the interest of fear mongering over COVID, they, they went crazy over that and, you know, making fun of people here at the march who just really love their president. So if there's any coverage whatsoever, I think it will just be critical. All right, Amanda, listen, I am so glad we're going to light things up. I'm glad you're here with us for this part of the show because you are the funniest person I know uh, that's a reporter. And uh, it is time for our meme of the day. Now here on our meme of the day, we have a nice looking millennial in his late 20s who probably still lives at home in his parents' basement who loves communism but hates living under mom and dad's rules. Amanda, there are way too many millennials, too many millennials, say that three times fast, who are just like this guy, probably living in California, don't you think? Yeah, this, this that meme is the epitome of cognitive dissonance. It is a generation, and I don't want to make a blanket statement, but by and large, an entire generation of people who want to reap yeah. the benefits of certain things, say capitalism yeah. or living in mom and dad's house without paying rent, but they don't want yep. to have to deal with the repercussions. That's right. All right, Amanda, listen, we will see you tomorrow on our coverage live starting at noon Eastern. Thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate you and, and Ben out there bearing the cold. And we will see you tomorrow. Thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you to everyone here at your new home for real news. The uncensored, the undaunted, RAV, Real America's Voice, live from Studio 6B, up next with Damon and the crew. Hug your children, love your God, go boldly now and live the truth. Yeah. Yeah.